Hi, I'm Rob, and thanks for discovering season one of Two Bye Guys. We hope you enjoy it. So in season one, we recorded everything in person. It was pre-pandemic, and we used professional sound booths. And as you'll hear, the audio quality is pretty great. But it was also very complicated and expensive. And when the pandemic hit, those booths became impossible. So in season two, we tried recording interviews locally while chatting on Zoom, which kind of worked, but the audio quality was spotty. Sometimes people made manual mistakes with the recording. It was a huge hassle for me to receive the files, convert the formats, compile the audio, edit by hand. I knew I needed a better solution if I was going to continue the podcast. And Zencaster was that solution. The thing that was most important to me, knowing how the process works, is that the audio gets recorded locally, not over the internet like Zoom does. When you get up to seasons three and four, you'll hear how good the audio quality is. It rivals what you're about to hear from season one, which was recorded in professional sound booths. And it's so much easier and cheaper. Everyone can record from home with whatever equipment they have, even just a laptop's built-in mic. And then there's the editing and post-production. I used to have to go through every track manually, reducing background noise, mixing volumes and levels, making sure my guest and I were synced. Now Zencaster post-production takes care of all of that and delivers ready-to-upload files. So if you're thinking about starting your own podcast, I highly recommend Zencaster. It's easy, it's affordable, and it's very reliable, and the sound quality is great. And now if you go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and enter promo code 2 guys, you'll get 30% off your first three months. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com slash pricing, promo code 2 guys for 30% off your first three months. It's time to share your story with Zencaster. Hello, and welcome to Two Bye Guys. I'm Rob. And I'm Alex. Before we get into today's episode, thank you all for listening to the first five episodes. We've been hearing a lot of responses, a lot of people feeling validated and hearing what we're saying and having it relate to their lives. A lot of people disagreeing with some things we've said, and that has sparked some interesting discussions on social media. Mm -hmm. A lot of these issues are pretty tricky to discuss and are concepts of these issues are evolving and changing and we're all learning more about this and sometimes we get stuff wrong i guess is what i kind of want to say yes in our views of bisexuality overall yeah these two bi guys don't speak for all bi guys ever right like everything we're talking about even when we forget to mention that is a personal experience and it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's experience is that way but i also think at the same time We want to have these conversations even if we're going to get stuff wrong, right? Because we don't want to be so afraid of making a mistake that we don't have the conversation because it's so important that we discuss those things, right? Yeah, of course. So if we do get anything wrong, please write to us. Please let us know. Please tell us, you know, how your experience is different or if any of this is harmful or hurtful. Um, but also we hope you're all listening with an open mind and an open heart. Take everything we say with a grain of salt because it's, it's our point of view and it doesn't always apply to everyone. I think it's important for both of us, Rob and I, to acknowledge that we don't speak for, you know, queer women when we're speaking about queer women. We don't speak for trans and non-binary folks when we speak about them. 
but we are pointing out maybe something that sounds like a generalization just for the sake of simplifying the conversation. Right, exactly. Like, we sort of have to sometimes make these generalizations to get at the point we want to discuss that's, like, something valid, but we definitely don't want to be telling other people how they should be feeling or acting or what their experience is. Yeah. And as it refers to today's episode, what we're planning on talking about here, you know, I can already see that Uh we might be a little bit binary centric today, Mm -hmm. for example. And I think it's important that we realize that even if we speak about men and women, we're not disregarding the existence of others because there's a lot of erasure of the other folks. Yeah. So what is that specific topic that uh, we're going to get into today? Yeah. Yeah. So Rob and I are going to talk a little bit about dating and sex, how gender plays a part. The ongoing bi conundrum is, but how can you do this with men and with women? How can you have the same relationships? And the truth is, they're not the same. They're different in a lot of ways. They're also similar in a lot of ways for Uh some, you know, in in some instances. But today, we're going to really kind of dig in to what role gender plays in our relationships. Yeah. And many people identify bisexual because they have had experiences with people of more than one gender. And so, I learned a lot when I started having those experiences, like a lot of things I wasn't prepared for and didn't even think about. Yeah. So how is it different for you dating men and women or or other genders, too, of course? In some ways, it's so similar. And in some ways, it's very different. And like I've talked about how similar it feels to be with men and women, both like sexually and also in relationships or in dating. Like when I finally felt comfortable enough to date men I started realizing those feelings I had internally were very similar to like Hmm. the feeling of like going on a date or like wondering if someone's interested in you or, you know, all of that stuff actually feels so similar. And as we've discussed, the sex feels similar to like the feelings around it, although the mechanics are different. We'll get to Mm. that later. Yeah, we'll get to that. But I also think sort of externally from the outside and in terms of like expectations and roles, that dating is very different. And that when I've dated women, I feel very locked into a certain role um, that patriarchy has sort of prescribed for me Mm -hmm. and that I don't like. Like I don't like sort of that power dynamic where men are very much prioritized. But I felt that that was the dynamic sort of implicitly in a lot of relationships and that, like, it's the man's job to lead things in a certain way Mm -hmm. or to be in charge or responsible or... Yeah, it's that dominant role that you're supposed to play in all ways, right? Yeah. That's what I'm hearing from you anyways. Yeah, that's a good word. Like, I felt in this dominant role, but I didn't like that. Like, I didn't want to be in that role. I wanted things to be more... Equal. And to be fair, Mm -hmm. there were women I found more equal relationships with. Yeah, of course. But then when I started dating men, like I just felt I was on more of an equal footing and that heteronormativity wasn't Mm -hmm. placed on top of the relationship. And therefore, I didn't feel that same kind of pressure. And it was kind of freeing a a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And actually, you know, now that I'm thinking a little bit more about it, it kind of just hit me that like the idea of a relationship between two men forces you to create your own dynamics right and maybe that's perfectly equal maybe that's one far more dominant than the other right like that could be anything but there's no book that you can ascribe to in the same way there's more room more room to to just feel comfortable right it sort of frees things up to create whatever kind of dynamic you like and whatever works for you and actually right like 
maybe a totally equal 50-50 in everything isn't the right way for you to be in a relationship. But being with men opened that up in a certain yeah. way for me to actually explore what balance do I like or in different areas of our relationship, what balance do I want? How about you? What's your experience been like with this? I have had a lot of relationships with men where I sense that equal footing that we're on, right? And, and mm-hmm. that feels comfortable to me. I strive for that. I strive for people to be on an equal footing where I can stand for myself, they can stand for themselves. So that is an easier possibility for me mm-hmm. with men. With women, I have always found that it's that same expectation you're talking about is definitely there. And I think, you know, maybe, and this isn't hopefully a, a complete martyr complex here, it feels almost harder because I did identify as gay for as long as I did. It just made it even more challenging to like be a straight guy mm-hmm. for the first time in 22 years, right? And I had no idea how to do that. Um, so there was so much more anxiety about it. And then mm-hmm. there was kind of the imprinted picture of what a straight couple is, which yeah. I would now be a part of. Yeah. And yeah, you're expected to be a little bit more dominant. You're ex- and that's being broken down. You know, the result might be that two straight people are in a relationship and they have a very conscious understanding of that. Right. And they can feel more comfortable, right? And, right. and kind of Which is great. that. In part, I feel like queer people have almost helped those individuals see the potential. Yes, I think that being with men and people of other genders, not just women, I've found once I'm able to explore that and figure out myself and who I am and the way I like to work within relationships, I've been able to bring that back mm-hmm. to relationships with women. Yeah. So it's actually helped me across the board to have that experience. Yeah. And I think the divorce rate is lower for queer people, right? Like there's real evidence that queer people have functional, healthier relationships. And for example, polyamory, that is maybe more popular amongst queer communities Yeah, and more kind of discreet and hidden amongst straight communities. But right. I feel like straight communities are kind of learning from queer communities that maybe that's a healthy possibility. Right. Well, heteronormativity doesn't just lock people into male-female relationships Mm -hmm. and the roles and expectations within that. It also is, like, related to normativity in general. And so, like, for example, monogamy, I think, is part of that. Heteronormativity boxes you in in that way. And then with, like, kink versus vanilla type play, like, I think it locks you more into non-kink stuff. Yeah, completely. It's affecting that, like that toolbox that forms your relationship, right? Like to keep your relationship going smoothly and in a healthy way where both people feel supported, right? I find that queer people who are queer at a younger age are not given the same kind of role models for their relationships, the same kinds of um, expectations and images to ascribe to, and therefore basically leads to a much later development for healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of study that goes into that like gay relationships, for example, don't exist in a healthy way until maybe their 20s as opposed to their teens, Mm -hmm. right? Because there's so much lack of clarity of what they're supposed to do. Like we were just talking, the gender imbalance, like how do you deal with that as a 16-year-old? Because we don't see much of it. Right, relationships are so confusing at 16 anyway. On top of that, having much fewer role models or examples or people talking to you about how a queer relationship could work. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I have found that I was just figuring out how to have a healthy date even when I was 21, 22 Hmm. or so, Um, which I'm very well aware is fairly late, you know, 
Um, yeah, I guess, I guess. I mean, at it's least not that late. <laughs> yeah, but like comparing to, so to a lot of people around me. Um, <laughs> what was that like one year ago? For well, you? and I, I also should say that like I only just recently got in my first kind of substantial relationship and yeah. I'm 26 right now. Mm-hmm. And that's fairly late. Like they, most people around me have been in several relationships at this point. And it does stem, I feel, from like being a young queer person. And at least for me, not having the same hope that relationships are a possibility. So yeah. what do you think about that? I don't well, know. As, as someone who identified as straight through most of that time and yeah. came to buy a label. Later. Well, I identify with that in sort of, again, like a, an opposite way. But everything you're saying makes sense because I did have relationships with women from like young ages that felt good and felt normal and only into my sort of mid 20s to late 20s did I start to have some real doubts about relationships I was in and did those relationships get a little more complicated for me mm-hmm. and I think that was because I was beginning to notice queer desires within me yeah. and I think in my late 20s was when it got really tense and suddenly a lot of relationships I had with women felt to me like I was testing myself to see if I really was interested in these women and really Mm -hmm. was I straight or not. Like I was starting to doubt myself. And when everything feels like a test, it's really unhealthy for you because you start conflating all these things and like not everyone is going to be a fit for you, right? Like you could date people. I date a lot of people in my 20s who were not a good fit for me. And suddenly every time that happened, it would make me doubt my straightness. It would make me doubt my whole identity. Uh, And it became really challenging to just focus on the person and focus on the connection we did or didn't have. So to bring it back to literally a date setting, I think it's also important to acknowledge with all of this going on, the bi struggle is still that every man and every woman is going to assume you to be either gay or straight in a setting like that, right? And I think that assumption, depending on the gender of the person, affects me in very different ways. Like a Mm -hmm. man assuming that I'm gay maybe still feels a little bit more honest because I care about my queerness. I can care about identifying as queer. When I'm with a straight cis woman and I'm assumed to be a straight guy, that feels like so much more... Of a burden. But I also think it's sort of a good litmus test now being out. Like, I've been out with women since coming out, and some of them I just never hear from again, or the conversation gets awkward when I tell them. And But I've also yeah. had the experience of telling a woman I'm bi and her being really into it, mm-hmm. uh, and that actually making the relationship better than any I ever had, even the earlier ones, because I have such a more fully formed and comprehensive identity that allows for everything. And then when a woman is into that and comfortable with that and actually likes it, mm-hmm. it's so validating in such a great way. Yeah. And it also turns me on in a great way. And like, I guess we'll get to sex in a minute, but like yeah. towards the end, when I sort of knew that I wasn't totally straight in my head, Mm -hmm. but I was still dating women and wasn't comfortable telling them that or identifying as bi, 
uh, I started to have issues with sex where like I felt so much performance anxiety yeah. because of that role and that expectation Yeah, that it was sometimes hard to have sex, especially if yeah. it was a new person and I wasn't totally comfortable with them. Completely. And that yeah. made me doubt my straightness. That made me doubt mm-hmm. that I was even bi. That made me think, oh, I might be gay and all these other relationships I've had were a lie and it, and it sent yeah. me spinning. Yeah. But then meeting women who were cool with bisexuality and then who I had sexual relationships with after coming out to them was really important because when that happened, sex was not difficult and it was great. And I didn't have that performance anxiety and I was more able to perform without that pressure. And so that ended up being so validating of my bi identity because I knew that it was really these expectations from the outside that were giving me these anxieties and not yeah. some internal constitution that I do or don't like men or women or that mm-hmm. I'm more attracted to penises or vaginas or boobs or butts. Or, you know, like, yeah. like yeah. I realized that all of those things are nice, but they're secondary to the situation and the feelings and the acceptance. Yes. Yeah, I completely feel that. And, you know, two points very related come right to mind. The first and, and the most kind of valuable discovery I've made about myself this year has been that I don't date cis straight women mm. anymore because I know that there's heteronormative lens that they are viewing relationships through generally. Generally. Right. Like, right. that, you know, the, and like I said, I'm right. open to those instances and I've found instances when that's not the case. Right. So, but it makes it easier for me and actually kind of block out gay men too because there's a heteronormative or at least a monosexual lens that they can view things through mm-hmm. that I can't. Like, there's so much talk about, like, are you a top or are you a bottom, for yeah. example, and all of that talk, which... are you um, So are you a top or are you a bottom? <laughs> yeah, are we going to go there? <laughs> Let's go there. Well, well, well where yeah, do you want to start? Maybe we'll go there in a second. Uh, well, first to address the other point that came up too, yeah. that there's an app called Field, F-E-E-L-D. It's very similar to Tinder, Grindr, all of the others, except I've found that it's super queer-centric. It's super bi-centric. So many individuals on there are not straight and not gay. Mm -hmm. And it's homoflexible, heteroflexible, queer, bi. Those are the identities that make up most of it. Hmm. But I think even more interesting is that I match on with almost every straight man <laughs> on there. So even though I'm like, yeah. they're using straight, but maybe they're just using the label more so they're not refining their behavior to straightness, clearly. Right. Interesting. They're viewing straightness as somewhat fluid. Yeah. But it's really interesting how comfortable that whole app, everybody I talk to, it just all feels so much more in my lane. Huh. And so much of that is centered on the fact that we are, all seem to be in this spy umbrella. Yeah. I think that app is really cool. Maybe I'll get on there because... Yeah. Uh, it, I encourage you all. So you've so, had a few threesomes then on feel? We, we're getting there. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. I'll update you all. <laughs> Sorry. I know you don't love that question. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes, um, sometimes you got to ask that question. Yeah. Always good to ask. You just may not get an answer. (laughs) Yeah. But maybe we spend the rest of the time talking sex. Sex. And (laughs) Rob loves talking sex. Uh, (laughs) My favorite. So how is sex different between men, women, and queer and non-binary folks, if that's kind of a factor at all for you? I actually think my answer is similar to the dating thing, which is that, like, it feels similar from within But I also have felt different kinds of expectations in terms of sex. And uh, being with men allowed me to break out of those 
roles and expectations that I talked about earlier and allowed me to try new stuff and not just like top versus bottom, but all sorts of different kinds of things and other types of kink play and other types of like group activities or sex parties. And like Mm -hmm. all of this stuff felt like a totally other world when I identified as straight and like something that was not accessible to me. Yeah. So are you saying that sex is better with men? Yeah. Well, oh, is sex better with men than women? Yeah. I don't know. No, no, I wouldn't put it that way. I would say that sex in general for me has gotten better since I opened myself up to being with men. I think like in terms of the best sex, that's depending on a person. Yeah. (laughs) And so I won't say who my best sex (laughs) has been with, like even with a single person Sex can be very different based on the situation and the mood and what you're doing. You know, I've learned that there's so much variety of sexual encounters. Yeah. But opening myself up to a queer identity has allowed me to experience all that variety. Whereas looking back when I was only with women, there was some variety, but the range was much narrower. Mm Mm-hmm. I understand that. How about you? Do you feel sex is different with men and women? I mean, I agree with a lot of what you've said generally. I think the more important part that just comes to mind right away is just logistically. Uh-huh. Like, things are oh, yeah. different. Oh, we right? could talk like, about that. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> That's true. there's just, there is something about working with a body that you don't have as much understanding on. Yeah. Because it's not like yours in the same way. There are elements of it that are different, right? Like a clitoris versus like working with like a guy's dick or a guy's ass, like very different. I had no sexual experience with women until 22, I think, or 21, 22, something like that. So what was that like? Um, How did you learn how to do that? Books, kind of. Really? Like books. When I was 13, I had a book when I was 13, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, and more so like, there was like a book that I read and then a lot of like literature maybe mm-hmm. is the better way of putting it uh-huh. because like reading online and also like porn also most learning got done just watching porn like the second I started watching like threesome porn especially and just like yeah. there was a long time where watching porn with women was really hard even though I was really attracted to it uh-huh. I couldn't help but see a lot of misogyny in it too yeah it's another topic maybe that we won't dive into but it made it really hard to like feel like a good person watching it honestly in some ways that makes sense for sure because porn can be pretty misogynistic yeah and a lot of people learn about sex a lot of straight guys i think especially learn about sex from watching porn which is not always so healthy well and on for anybody too like there's so much you've tried and it hurts maybe yeah, or yeah. or is just not fun right I, I am not anti-porn and i think it's not always bad and and there's a lot of good things about the industry yeah. but i don't think it should be necessarily used as an instruction manual you know yes exactly and that i think was probably my biggest struggle when i did start <laughs> sleeping with women i was like yeah. okay like how much of this is real because you yeah, can yeah, tell yeah. like it there's you know yeah. but um, at least but, when you started exploring you were in the mindset of, like, I want to learn to do this well, like, to please yeah. this woman. Yeah. When I was younger, a teenager, that wasn't in my head. Like, I was just thinking about me and my anxiety yeah. and my performance. I was not focused on pleasing the other yeah. person, which is not well, good, but that's what a teenager's mind is well, like. Well, and I think talk about performance anxiety when you're, like, sleeping with your first couple of women ever as a formerly gay man— <laughs> And mm-hmm. 
trying to please her and like make her feel good right like that being the priority like you know it's just a lot and even now i can sometimes feel that i've had so many more years with men that queer folks definitely fall in the same category as men in this case for me because i think they are much more in touch with the idea of queer sex and and just the idea of it maybe more communication being a part of it in my experience too yeah well, I found that more communication is key, and it was I learned how to do that when I started yeah. sleeping with men a lot better than I was able to do that when I was yeah. with women. Like I learned the importance of communication and explicitly discussing everything. Yeah, because that was what ended up happening, and then I liked that, and then I realized, oh, like this decreases my anxiety about this. It makes me feel more comfortable. It makes the other person feel comfortable. Why was I not doing this with women all along? And like that's patriarchy and heteronormativity. And like, you know, I wish I had done things differently, but that was, that was the toolbox I had at the time. Yeah, completely. And I don't think anybody really learns to prioritize communication and sex early on because how often in porn do you hear them checking in on each other right, right? Like, is this that's okay not a, is this okay yeah like it's not right that's what it should be like, but that's not what porn is. yeah yeah and for years like it was so not hot when somebody would say that to me like yeah. i like i would yes. just lose it like i would just be like why did you just talk like Yes, and I used to think if I was asking, is this okay, or do you want to do this, I used to think that wasn't hot for them. Exactly. And that I and that what they wanted was for me to just, like, take charge and do yeah, stuff. and just and, do the thing that you're supposed to. Right, but it's actually hot to ask yeah. for continuous consent, yeah. and it's actually hot to be detailed about what you're doing and what feels good and where yeah. you want somebody to touch you yeah. or not. And like, you know, what direction to move your finger mm-hmm. around. Like, yeah. I was afraid of that kind of communication for so long. Yeah, completely. Like, I feel like I got a leg up in some way because being with men primarily early on, I think I was learning that communication was a must a little yeah. bit more. Whereas I feel like in straight relationships, and I've heard this from women that I've slept with, that like, they don't expect pleasure in the same way. Mm -hmm. They don't expect, like, you to care about them in the same way. Yeah. Which loops me to a question, Rob. Sure. Are we saying that sex is better with bi men? Oh, with bi men because, well, I guess so. I mean, (laughs) I don't want to build myself up so much. But I do think, I mean, maybe not specifically bi men, but men who've been able in whatever way to conquer this barrier of, like, openness and communication, then yes, sex is better. Becoming bi helped me to do that. So yes, yes. exactly. And to answer my own question, that's the piece. Like, yeah, yeah. Like being bi has made sex better for me. I don't think it's implicit necessarily. I think it's just, there's a journey that you're forced on. So back to the logistics, do you find that, uh, that eating vagina is very similar to eating (laughs) ass? Cause I find it's pretty similar. Like, sucking a dick logistically, mechanically is different, obviously, but the eating out is kind of similar. Sort of, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I think think so. It's a little different, but it's Well, like, it's basically, like, not to be too crude about it, but, like, well, we are crude. crude. It's okay. We're being crude. Um, (laughs) Women have, like, a clitoris, like, that is in their vagina, right? Like, Mm -hmm. well, is is there, right? Mm -hmm. And men have their prostate, who that's... Kind of mm-hmm. where they like those are the two spots you're targeting on either of those bodies. So, yeah. yeah, to me, it feels like the same goal essentially. You're hitting like the spot on their body where they experience the most pleasure. Yeah, right? also, I 
had never had my ass eaten when I was a straight man by anyone. Mm -hmm. I only experienced that once I started sleeping with men. Yeah. And um, just to all those out there who have never tried it, uh, you have to. (laughs) It was like, (laughs) like I thought I could imagine what that would feel like. But I don't think you can because it was this wild, wild sensation that I had never felt before. And it feels really good and crazy. Like it's it was that was one of the most shocking things to me was what that Mm -hmm. felt like. Yeah. So sorry to those listening who I know in my personal life who don't want to know any of this. But like, (laughs) stop listening now. Um, (laughs) Mom, dad, uh, siblings. um, Mom, don't listen to what I just said before. Rewind your memory. <laughs> so, have you had a similar experience? Are you are you in that? So, are you asking me if I've had my ass eaten? Yes. Um, and what was it like? <laughs> yes, uh, I have, and actually, uh, very recently, for the first time, like a really? week, really? a week ago, yeah, <gasps> a week ago, yeah, like eight days ago. Wow! Thank it, God we scheduled the podcast after you yeah, experienced that. Yeah. Um, but uh i had also like eaten other guys and girls before plenty but yeah never had my own and i think having it done on me makes me understand what i'm doing a little bit more and then in terms of like actual intercourse sex who the person is can make things very different more so than gender actually because i found that having sex with female genitalia and male genitalia feels pretty similar. Like maybe there's a little bit of a difference in like texture or tightness or something. Positions, right. Angles. However, the basics of that are surprisingly similar. Yeah. If you're, if you're the top, right? Like, like being fucked is very different than fucking someone. But, but if you're fucking a man or a woman or someone of another gender with any genitals, It has felt very similar to me. The thing that's different is blowjobs. I had never given a blowjob, obviously, until I gave a blowjob to a guy. Yeah. Yeah. There's also the side of it that, like, sex between men, like, anal sex, like, takes more work. Yeah. Right? Like, there's, like, real... (sighs) Like, that's a thing. (laughs) Yes, that is very true. And actually something I didn't realize or expect before experiencing it. it. Yes. To work with a guy's ass, like, you have to, like, clean Right. You have to like make sure that that's in the same way that you don't. This is the way I've heard it recently. In the same way that you don't give a blowjob with food in your mouth, <laughs> you have to do some prep before yes. bottoming, right? Yes. Yeah. And actually, it does or it can affect the sexual encounter in a real way because when I've been with women, you know, if, if things are getting frisky and it's going in a certain direction mm-hmm. and you're getting hard and she's getting aroused, like, you can just have sex right there. Yes, exactly. And you cannot do that without planning it with a guy. Like, if that is happening and everyone's feeling it, you then have to be like, are we going to, okay, are we going to have sex? And just decide verbally, and then you have to take a 20-minute break. Yeah, or longer than 20 (laughs) minutes. Or like Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Or you have to have thought about it earlier in the day or on the date. Which also, in my experience, that has made some sexual experiences with men so much more intimate, too. Hmm. Because. Interesting. It's because, like, one, you know that one or both of you has gone to a lot of work to make this happen. So, like, 
there can also be more anxiety because of that. But I also experience that there's just more of this is something that you're anticipating. And as long as that's healthy anxiety, it can make you really take advantage of that time a lot more. Whereas with women, I've found it just kind of can happen anywhere. And if it doesn't happen now, like then do it later. Like Mm -hmm. it's it's just kind of more nonchalant feeling Mm -hmm. to me at times. Right. And that time it takes to sort of prepare forces a different type of communication yes and so it forces you to be more open and discuss things at every step yeah which makes things intimate yeah so are you more of a top or bottom and have you tried both i have very much so tried both okay i have done much more of one than the other Uh but i'm open to all and you like both yeah yeah depending on the person though yeah yeah Uh as i've talked about i'm very like yeah Part of me is very, like, demi, too, and, and without putting myself in that box. And, like, that very much so is a factor with all of this. But yeah. with the right person, like, I will do all of it. Cool. Right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I I have also tried both, and I'm glad that I have done that. I definitely am more of a top, and I think that's yeah. partially because I identified as straight for so long, and that was the yeah. only role I could possibly have in my head, at least. Yeah. And so that became my natural role but i do enjoy both it's a very interesting and fun experience to bottom but i've also learned that i'm like to be more submissive and i've learned that a sub top is a thing which i never really thought about or could understand before i became queer that like to me top and dom go together but or they used to in my head but they don't actually have to like completely you could be a sub top and you could be a dom bottom yeah and that's actually kind of interesting and hot to me those things yeah like there's there's some real dom bottoms Mm -hmm. out there yeah yeah To segue out of sex for a minute, because I'm getting uncomfortable. Uh. <laughs> um, Fine. Well, and not entirely out of sex. This is actually, like, really sex-centric, the yeah. question that I have now. But when I first started sleeping with women, pursuing women, that consent became an mm. issue. Mm-hmm. That I would pay for drinks for a girl, because being right. a straight guy, that's what you do, apparently. Um, <laughs> but the yeah. point is that I, I would, you know, I paid for drinks for a girl, got her drunk, and then didn't feel like I could go home with her at that point because I was like, when is it an assault? You know, I I just didn't understand that barrier. I guess my question is, how do you find consent varies depending on the gender of the person that you're with? Yeah, it's interesting you had that experience because maybe you're coming from a world where, like, things are more equal and so suddenly you felt this intense Mm -hmm. inequality. And, you know, like this expectation to pay for drinks if you're the man and you're yeah, dating a woman is a real expectation that then has these consequences and contributes to a, a power dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of grew up with that power dynamic and was never really comfortable with it, although it was invisible to me for some time. When you started sleeping with men, how did you find consent different in those spaces? It was a little different depending on how I met the guy, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. my first experiences were on apps, meeting people on Grindr and other apps. In those cases, we would talk very explicitly, as we mentioned last time, like, 
about what we were going to do. And usually when you got there, that's you, you sort of stuck to the plan. And so that was very explicit consent. Mm-hmm. Some of those encounters would not end up involving a lot of communication during the event. Yeah. But you had communicated pretty clearly beforehand. Yeah. So And I imagine consent knew. was very important. Like conversation, maybe to use a different word, was yeah. very important in those situations as you've talked about right i was only going over to meet some guy when i was into what we were discussing doing but then going into other kinds of gay spaces it changed a little i don't know exactly about queer bars that i ever felt like consent is violated there i didn't notice any huge differences between straight spaces and queer Mm -hmm. spaces on that front but i did when i started going to like sex focus spaces like for example Mm -hmm. a gay bar that has a dark room or a downstairs or sex in the bathroom kind of things going on, which I never knew existed. But also (laughs) then like sex parties, which I started going to after coming out. And especially like you notice this in all male sex parties versus mixed sex parties that I've been Mm -hmm. to. In all male spaces, consent is often nonverbal And often very blurry. So what does that look like? Well, people just touch you without asking. People don't always come up to you and ask, can I touch you? Can I kiss you? Is this okay? They just come up to you and do it. And if you don't want them to, you have to say no, no, thank you. Or in some cases, I've had to like just push people's hands away or push yeah. them away, like yeah. in in really dark spaces where people are yeah. persistent. It's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, I find that like in those spaces, it isn't about consent being established. It's about saying like pushing away or saying no or establishing when it stops, right? As opposed to when it can start, right? It's the opposite of affirmative consent. And I find that part of that is because. You are walking into a sex club. So it's assumed that you want sex in some way. Right. But it doesn't mean you want sex with everyone. (laughs) Exactly. I find a lot of these spaces kind of firmly established that consent is uh, in their expectation. Yeah. That if you get turned away, don't like be butthurt about it. Like just step away. Don't pursue that person. Don't get angry. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All the spaces I've been to have had those kind of disclaimers and I felt very safe on a macro level going in there because I knew that. Yeah. Um, But yeah, there have been these moments where people just touch you and you have to say no. I, as somebody who worked in a gay bar for a year and a half, I found that I was essentially getting harassed and sexually assaulted very continuously. Hmm. People grabbing me Hmm. or doing things that I was not okay with hmm. and said something and they stepped away, but they were too drunk to remember or something like that, right? Like those kinds of very kind of problematic, awful kind of situations. It's not even a question of is there consent or is this an assault? It's more so like how much am I being harassed? Like yeah. how violating yeah. is this? Right. And how firm are we having conversation about it? Yeah, that makes so much sense to me because when I started being with guys and in these kinds of spaces, I started to understand what that kind of pressure yeah. can feel like on this end and yeah. what what it feels like to be in a murky area of like mm-hmm. not being sure if you want something, but also not being sure that you don't want it. And like wanting to expand your horizons and explore new things, but also wanting to feel safe and that you can stop at any time. And that, like, I've had a lot of conflicted feelings about some of the stuff that I've tried and I've gained a new 
understanding of this very gray area. Yeah. But I think it's really important that like consent isn't gray in the same way. Like yeah, it's no, it, it still doesn't make consent gray. It just I find that gay spaces maybe because they're so hypersexualized, I think that there's a higher tolerance for broken consent. And I think a huge piece of all of this is the fact that it's assumed that men always are thinking about sex and women are never thinking about sex. Like, the, right, those stereotypes still exist. I think in all male sex parties where consent is very nonverbal, part of me wanted to experience that. And in some ways, that nonverbal aspect can be hot if you're yeah. into what you're doing and who you're doing it with. But at the same time, it's like individual relationships and what we were talking about earlier with consent that like to me communicating is really hot now that yeah. i know how to do it it's yeah. hotter than just pressing forward without yeah. talking about each step and so when i have been to co-ed parties like for example yeah. i went to this makeout party that was like a pansexual mm -hmm. co-ed makeout party or all genders and that was the space i've been in with the most explicit consent that I've ever seen. Even just going up and talking to someone, you kind of ask for consent to talk to them. Yeah. And, you know, it was a makeout party. You're there to make out with people. That's what everyone kind of wants to do. Yeah. But consent was so explicit and so necessary. And that actually made me feel so relaxed and so yeah. chill. And I had such a great time at that party. The vibe there was just so fun and friendly. Yeah. And I think that contributed to it. Yeah. Because nobody's forcing anything on anybody. There's yeah, ongoing there's no mutual pressure. connections going on in right. every single right. one of those instances you're talking right. about. And it also makes me think of like these straight guys who want to explore with other guys but aren't out yet. And in a weird way, you can be very anonymous in a sex party. So like there's this group in New York that's like a jerk off club. Mm -hmm. And there's like, you know, 50 people there when you go and only jerking off is allowed. No penetration of any kind. And you get a lot of straight guys there. Like, obviously, yeah. you're not asking everyone how they identify, so you don't really know. Yeah. But I went as a straight guy, so I know there yeah. are some straight guys there and yeah. kind of felt safe to me when I first did it because I knew that the limit was touching and that yeah. there was no penetration. Well, right? and that's, that's clear consent. Like, you know what you're stepping into. You've right. agreed to this. Right. But at the same time, when I went to that, I wasn't talking to anyone else about it, right? Like, I I didn't talk to my friends who had been to that before because I was yeah. not out. I was identifying as straight. Yeah. And so I was very surprised when I first went to that and got there by people just touching me without asking. Yeah. And it took me a little while to get comfortable saying no or pushing yeah. people away. And that caused me to have some early encounters yeah. that felt uncomfortable to me and that weren't yeah. great. And even though I went there and walking in the door is sort of consent to be touched. Like, mm -hmm. not really. Like, I didn't exactly. realize it was yeah. going to be like that. And so I wish, yeah. you know, that's why it was hard to not be out about this, but to want to explore this stuff because I was not prepared for that. So with yeah. all of this being said, we're talking a lot about differences amongst genders, dating and sex. You know, we're in this Me Too movement, for example, and we're talking about consent in that. And there's just a conversation about consent that is being yeah. held in two very different ways. Yeah. And it makes it really hard for bi folks, I think, who share those spaces. Right. Or for a woman, like a, any woman, for example, to step foot in one of these settings, see what's happening, and not 
be horrified. Right, right. right? I can't like, imagine a woman yeah, in, and I've seen in a it. space like that. Yeah. I've or, seen, like, a woman, like, walk in and casually, like, walk into a dark room and just be like, what the hell is happening? Like, yeah. and not just they're seeing a bunch of sex, like, all of a yeah. sudden, but, like, that they're seeing everybody obviously not communicating is really jarring. It makes right. me wonder if all this stuff is actually, like, inherent to gender or because we're talking about it in a binary way and it is very yeah. gendered. Like we've noticed all these things that we're talking yeah. about. But I wonder if that's like a self-fulfilling prophecy or if it's because yeah. our society is so gendered and power dynamics exist in all these ways already. You know, I wonder if that is why this is getting perpetuated or if it's possible to break out of it. Um, you know, because I think the goal is to make things equal for everyone and to have explicit affirmative consent at all yeah. times like that would be better in my yeah. opinion yeah, but course. uh you know it is interesting how striking the differences currently are and yeah. how those are what the options are for people exploring this stuff when it leads to this code switching that i find myself having all the time where there's this massive code switch when i'm in a straight space seeking out women for example or even in a queer space seeking out people of non-male identities who aren't comfortable with that gay male kind of toxicity and then I go to a gay male space and I try not to ever be that toxic presence, but I also know what to expect and therefore can respond in, in a very different way. Yeah. Actually, maybe it is a final point. It makes me think of this space I went to on Pride this year, which was a genderqueer, non-conforming mm-hmm. party. Yeah. There were just people of all different presentations there of everything. Yeah. And many people you would have to ask what their pronouns are. Like they were presenting in androgynous ways or in ways that were both male and female at the same time. Yeah. And it was just such an awesome, fun place. Like it makes me think of what Jane Ward was saying last episode about how just defying norms and defying categorization and conventions is really exciting and hot to yeah. me and to other queer people. You know, I won, that wasn't a sex party. It was just a party. So, like, yeah. I don't know how consent would play out in there. But it was just such a fun space. Yeah. And I wonder what the world would be like when it starts to get less gendered in that yeah. way and where gender becomes more of a spectrum that it is and it's not so binary. You know, how will all the things we've just talked about be changing over the next few decades? Yeah. Down with the binary. Down with gender. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Down with it all. Yeah. Let's recreate it. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to this episode. Uh, Please send us your thoughts and comments on everything we've just been discussing because it's very complicated and nuanced and like, I don't know all the answers. Yeah. I was just going to say we aren't qualified to have this conversation really on our own. So please take part in it. Right. This is our experiences, which we want to share, but there's all different conclusions you can draw on all different ways to move forward towards a more fair and just society. Yeah, um, Stay tuned for our next batch of episodes. We've got some awesome interviews coming, and thanks for listening. Our music is by Ross Mincer and graphic design by Caitlin Weinman. This podcast is edited by Moxie Pung and is also produced by Moxie Pung, Matt Loomis, Alex Boyd, and me, Rob Cohen. Thanks for listening to Two Bye Guys. <laughs>